We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your kindness and your mercy toward us. And Lord God, we thank you because you are a good, loving, and gracious God. And Lord, we just humble ourselves before you today as we've been reminded today of your goodness, of your kindness toward us. And Lord, we just surrender to you acknowledging that you really are perfect in all of your ways. We surrender today, Lord God, our hearts, our minds, our thoughts, and we ask you, Lord God, to speak to us. We pray that you would be glorified. I pray that I would decrease, that you would increase, and that we would be hearers of your word who respond to your word, that we would be doers of it, Lord God. I thank you for this, and I pray that as your word comes forward into our hearts, that we would hear your voice clearly, Lord God. May you be glorified in these next few moments. I pray this in Jesus' good name. Everyone said you may be seated in the presence of the Lord. If you do not have an outline, just lift your hand up really quickly, and we will make sure that you get one. Just keep it up until you have one. So those outlines, as I often remind you, they are, number one, good, because you can follow along in the introduction of the sermon. Um, the second reason why I think they're good is because there are some good questions that you can communicate, that you can, um, you know, that you can answer, that are there for you to help you grow as a Christian. And the third reason why I believe that these outlines are important and they're good for you is because they allow you to take notes and they give you the opportunity to write down stuff that you can help others grow in their faith. The Bible says, that we are to go, therefore, and make disciples, right? We're supposed to teach. We are supposed to be makers of disciples. And so a lot of times we don't know where to start. We don't know how to help someone grow in their faith. We don't know how to be good disciples or disciple makers. And so this makes your job a little bit easier, right? You're able to take exactly what you're hearing on Sundays, and you're able to share that with those. And so my prayer is that as I say that weekly, that A, if you don't have somebody in your life that you are sitting down with and that you are talking about the Word of God, that you would really be moved in your heart to do that and that be if you are discipling someone in your life that you would utilize these and they would be helpful so that's my prayer so we're continuing on in our core four series here and we are in the 12th message of the 16 and so we have four more to go um, next week we'll start in the portion of serving and so as you know we communicate I communicated earlier on in the year the second Sunday of the year that we were going to be going through these core four and the reason why is because these core four are going to replace our mentoring program and the reason for that is because we want to make sure that everybody understands what it is that we are saying every Sunday morning when we communicate, when Pastor Chad gets up here or whoever's doing the welcome and the greeting to the visitors, that we can um, be clear on what we're saying and, and why we're saying it. We're not just saying that we're committed to loving God because it sounds good. We're committed to growing together because it sounds good. We're committed to reaching others because it sounds good. We're committed to serving or just because it's something that we feel in that moment. It's because we want us as a people to grasp what it is to be a disciple and we believe wholeheartedly that it is important for us to do those things and that we grow in those areas for us to truly and faithfully be disciples and so today is the last portion of the reaching others series and so if you look at your outline here the title of the message is how do we reach others and we see some really great examples in our Bible, and we're going to look at all of those things. And, and what I want you to realize is that by now, you should understand, we should understand the biblical foundations of the call to reach others with the gospel. If we don't get that by now, then I don't know that, that you'll ever get it. Maybe you were sleeping through some messages. I don't know. Maybe you weren't paying attention in the, in, in the last three messages that I preach on this. But we should know by now that we should reach others with the gospel. We should embrace the ministry of reconciliation that we have been given, and we should see God's plan for biblical church growth. We talked about that last week and the way that God grows his church. It's not about just faith dome growing. I told you that it's not about just filling seats. I want to see every seat in this place filled, not because I want to be able to pat myself on the back and say, hey, I did a great job because really it ain't about me filling these seats. It's about you reaching those who desperately need the gospel. That's the reason because you know what I believe? I believe that every empty seat in this building, and listen, if we once we fill these seats, we can go to another service and there'll be another 135 empty seats. Amen? So the point of the matter is, I'm saying that to say that I'm assuming that you know at least one person that needs the gospel, that you know at least one person that, that, that needs Jesus and doesn't walk with him. And so my prayer is that you would become very intentional, that you would become very emboldened, that you would become very passionate about those who do not know Christ, and that you would recognize that they need God, and guess what? God chose you to share himself with them. God shows you. 
He appointed you. He positioned you. That job that you have, it isn't by coincidence. It isn't just by happenstance. It's not just that you're there just because. God positioned you there sovereignly. I know you. some of y'all are like, I hate my job. Why would God position me somewhere that I hate? Well, Jesus went to the cross. I'm sure he didn't love that. Hello? Right? We, for some reason, we have this idea that everything that is from God is going to feel good. Hello? It's not always going to feel good. It's going to be good when it's all said and done. But it's not always going to feel good. And so the truth is God placed you in that job. The, 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 the place that you live, God placed you there. The family that you are part of, God placed you there. The neighbors you have, the, the people that you know, God positioned you sovereignly so that way you could be utilized to be a vessel through which he could reveal and manifest himself. We have to embrace that truth. In our culture, it has become the second paragraph here. In our culture, it is becoming increasingly more difficult to find the right way, the right method to reach others. Sadly, the church can't even agree on what is the right way to reach others. However, the scriptures always give clarity where there is confusion on what it calls us to do. Can someone say amen to that? You see, some churches have different ideas. This is the only way that you evangelize. Some churches think this is the only way that you evangelize. And they argue and they combat. And they even go to the point of condemning one another's method of evangelism. I want to make this clear. And I'm going to drive this home throughout this entire message. But what I want you to realize is that the method of evangelism is not at the top of the chart here. The message of the gospel is at the top of the chart. Get that. What is most important is not so much the method you use. It is the message you preach. That's what it's about. It's not so much about a method. You're going to see as we look at the scriptures together that there are many methods that are utilized in the scriptures. There are many ways that people were evangelized, but the one thing that remained consistent and never changed and can't ever change because if, hear me, if the message changes, we are no longer evangelizing. Are you hearing me? If, if we're not preaching the gospel, then we are no longer evangelizing. Yo, we may be drawing people. We may be connecting. We may even be talking about God. See, that's another thing for us, and, and I'll just throw it in there right now. A lot of us think that because I mentioned God in a conversation that I'm an amazing witness. Just because I said God, because we were talking about God with somebody who we know doesn't believe in God. Well, hey, man, I've done a good thing. You've done a good thing to start a conversation, but if you never bring them the gospel, if you never bring them the truth of Scripture that needs to confront them in their sin and bring them to the point of decision, then you haven't preached the gospel. You've talked about God, but that's about it. And so ultimately, we want to make sure that we look at what the Scriptures say so we can be clear on this. Last paragraph here. If we are going to be faithful, you should underline that word, faithful. If we are going to be faithful in response to the call of God to be ministers of reconciliation, to be salt that doesn't lose its saltiness, and to be light that shines brightly and unashamedly. We must follow in the footsteps of Jesus, the apostles, and the first church with regard to our gospel witnessing. We're called to be light. We're called to be salt. We're called to be voices in the midst of a world that is voiceless with the truth of God. Where the, where the voice of God is being drowned out, where the truth of God is being drowned out by lies and deceptions, by half-truths, and by false ideologies. And so we have to be that voice. I hope you understand that. We have to be that voice that cries out in our days, calling people to the Savior, communicating to people the wonder of the gospel that saved us and that delivered us. And the big idea that we've been dealing with throughout this whole portion of our Core 4 series on the Reaching Others is we have been called into a relationship with God, reconciled through Christ, and are sent, empowered by the Holy Spirit for gospel mission. I'll say that again. We have been called into a relationship with God, reconciled through Christ, and are sent, empowered by the Holy Spirit for gospel mission. I'll tell you something. When I, when I first became a Christian, I didn't need a class on evangelism. Listen, I was, I'm, I'm going to tell you right now. It wasn't like I knew everything. I thought I knew everything at some point. Most of us do at some point in our life. But at that point, you know, I thought I knew, I thought I knew a lot, I, you know, whatever. I used to read my Bible for sure. But what I want you to know is that I never, I never even remember my pastor ever saying, hey, man, you need to go preach the gospel to your friends. There was something inside of me that automatically wanted to share what happened to me with those so it could happen to them. 
That's the simplest way that I can communicate a burden for the gospel, to, to, to communicate the gospel. It is simply having a desire to share with others what happened to you so they can experience it, so it can happen to them. That should be something that's natural. And can I tell you something? I want you to know something. And I'm going to talk about these statistics in a moment. But I want you to realize this, is that here's, here's, here's the truth. The truth is, as we grow in our faith, sometimes... What happens is because we hear of all of the specifics that have to do with sharing the gospel, sometimes that discourages us and makes us think, oh, I can't share because I'm not qualified. I'm not equipped enough. I don't have the right words to share. I don't know how to share it. You hear someone else share, share the gospel or communicate the gospel. You may watch a video of someone doing it. You may witness someone doing it, and you feel inadequate, right? You feel like, oh, man, I don't know if I can do that. I don't know if I can be as bold as that person. You know, you go out with Minister Ricky or you go out with Pastor Chad. You go out with these guys, and you see them out there, and they're communicating. They're engaging like, man, that's like way out of my comfort zone. But here's the reality. The reality is we need to come back to the basics and say, God, I just want to be used by you to share with others what's happened to me. I want to be used by you so I can share with others how you changed my life so the way their lives can be changed. So the first thing that I want you to repeat after me is this. Say, the message must be the foundation and motivation of any method. The message must be the foundation and motivation of any method. Now, I want you to know I have a lot. Say a lot. I have a lot of scriptures. Remember, the, way, the, the, the whole purpose of this teaching is to do what? It's to equip. And so the only way that I can equip you is by giving you a lot of scripture. But here's what I'm not going to do. Is I'm not going to do what I've done in the past, and I'm not going to go over every single scripture. But here's what I am going to do is tomorrow I'm going to email you first thing around. I'm not going to say first thing in the morning because it may not be the first thing. But before the end of the day, tomorrow you're going to receive an email, all right? Amen. We'll do it that way. You'll receive an email from me, and it's going to have all of my notes for you. You know why? Because I'm not going to sit here and wait for you to try to flip to the scriptures or make them turn to the scripture or anything like that. But I want you to know, and, and here's what I want you to do. This is what I want you to do. I want you to check me, right? I want you to look at those scriptures that you're going to get tomorrow. I want you to sit down, and I want you to see if they say what I'm saying they're saying. Amen? You should do that all the time. Anytime that I preach anything, forget about everyone else. Anytime that I preach something to you, you know what you need to do? You need to go ahead and look in your Bible. I, I don't get upset when I say, hey, man, it's, it's over here in this place, and I see people put their head down, and they start flipping through their pages to see, is he really, is it really say what he's saying that it's saying? I don't get offended by that stuff. I want you to check that. You know why? Because I'm not God. Hello. I'm not perfect. I get up here. I say some stuff sometimes, and I'm like, man, that was a mistake. Hello. It happens, right? And when it's a big mistake, I apologize for it. I made a big mistake in a long time. But nonetheless, here's the thing. What I want you to realize is that this, all these scriptures, all these things I'm going to talk to you about, from John the Baptist to Jesus to the Apostle Peter to Stephen to those scattered to Philip to the Apostle Paul, the message of repentance was always clearly preached. When we look at this, this portion of scripture here, it says what in verse 17? Look at verse 17, chapter 4. Jesus, Jesus is starting his public ministry, and it says, From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus wasn't the first person who preached the message of repentance. If you read the Old Testament prophets, you know what they were doing? They were always calling people to repentance, unlike many of the prophets of our day. Hello, somebody. When I read the Old Testament prophets, when, when, when I read what they're communicating, you know what they were doing? Most of the time, what they were simply saying is, man, you have rebelled against God. You have broken God's law. And God is going to bring judgment upon you if you do not repent. That's what he was saying. That's what the prophets were communicating. John the Baptist comes on the scene, and he preaches the exact same message that Jesus begins to preach, which is what? He begins to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus goes on. He begins to preach his message. When you look at the Beatitudes, when you look at all of, of, of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5 through, through chapters, um, chapter 7, when you look at that whole sermon series there, really, because that's what it was, you look at it all. You know what Jesus was doing? He was saying, this is what the kingdom of God looks like. This is what the word of God looks like. This is how it should be operative in your life. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, and I'm calling you to live for my kingdom. I'm calling you to live based on my kingdom principles. I'm calling you to live based on the truth of the word of God, and I want you to understand this. Hear me now. If you are opposed to the kingdom because you're in rebellion, then you are in subjection to judgment from the king. Are you hearing me? Repent, because the kingdom of God is at hand. 
And if you are in rebellion against God's word, disobedience to God's word, you know, we talk about sinners. What is a sinner? It is one who misses the mark. It is one who disobeys the laws of God. It is a law breaker. That's what a sinner is. And the truth of the matter is that if you are a lawbreaker, if you are in rebellion against God's word, then you are in opposition to God's kingdom. And here's the beauty of it. God gives you the opportunity to do what? To make a U-turn. You know why? Because he doesn't want you to experience his wrath. He doesn't want you to experience his judgment. He wants you to experience his grace. That's what he wants you to experience. He wants all of us. But here's what, what I want you to see is that from, from John the Baptist, and, and, and we'll start with him, from John the Baptist all the way until the Apostle Paul, every one of them clearly preached this message of repentance. The gospel, they preached the gospel. And what's the gospel? We'll go over this again because it's something that I do every week because hopefully you are equipped and you understand it. But the gospel is the truth about God, his goodness, his holiness. It's the truth about man, his sinful hopelessness. The reality is, is that after the fall, man is sinful and he is hopeless. He cannot save himself. He cannot be good enough. He cannot do enough righteous things to, to appease God. And so man is hopeless in his sin. And this is what the gospel communicates. And then it's about Jesus and his sacrificial death and solution to man's hopeless situation with his sin. Jesus comes, he suffers in our place, he experiences our suffering, he makes this great exchange, as Pastor Chad said, this unfair exchange, he makes this so what? So that way we can come and we can put our faith in him and then we can experience eternal life, we can experience new life, we can experience a new identity, we no longer are fearing the wrath of God, our hearts are changed and we begin to walk with God. That's what the gospel communicates. That's the message that we're supposed to share with lost humanity. See, in Luke chapter 24, turn here with me real quick. Luke chapter 24, I want you to see this because we often think of the Great Commission and we go to Luke, I mean, we go to, we go to Matthew chapter 28. But if you go to Luke chapter 24, I told you in one of the sermons that every one of these, of these messages, of every one of the Gospels has their form of the Great Commission. So Luke chapter 24, verse 46 to 48. You got to say amen. Luke chapter 24, verse 46, it says, Then he said to them, this is Jesus speaking, Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. Look at verse 47 again. He says this, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And so it's clear when Jesus commissions his disciples, he tells them what? Repentance of sin, remission or forgiveness of sin is supposed to be preached. And so we don't just preach a depressing message. It should be depressing at some point. Hello. It should be discouraging. It should leave a person with the understanding that they are hopeless. But it should offer them hope when they recognize, man, I need to repent. Because the moment that you repent, your sins are forgiven. That's the message. So Jesus makes it abundantly clear that the message that was to be preached was repentance. Now, here's the deal. In a culture of tolerance, repentance is a hard message to preach faithfully. Hello. See, we live in the days of tolerance, right? We live in the days where we have to tolerate all. I love this. I was listening to James McDonald. He's a, he's a pastor in Chicago. And he said something. I thought it was so awesome. He was defining tolerance, and he gave some definitions of it. And the first one was really good. And he said this. He said, tolerance is for people, not principles. Did you hear that? Tolerance is for people not principles. In other words, when we talk about being tolerant, listen, we tolerate people, not their sin. 
We love people despite their sin. You don't have to be a jerk to someone because they're sinful. You don't have to be rude to someone because they're sinful. You're supposed to be loving of that person because God is loving. That's what's supposed to happen. But when the conversation comes up or when the questions are asked, you are supposed to stand firm and say, well, that principle that you're living by, that lifestyle that you're living, whatever it may be, is incorrect. It doesn't align with the scripture. See, but in our days, we think tolerance is never saying anything to anyone about their lifestyle choices. Whatever it is, you want to be an alcoholic, that's all up to you. But hey, man, don't we have, we have some people, I mean, I think there's some people that are pretty irate, and they think drinking and driving is bad, don't you? But who makes that rule? Who says that? Who communicates that? Who, who, who's the one who puts that moral reality in the hearts of men? Well, here's the deal. We need to be willing to confront people in their sin regardless because what? Repentance and remission of sin have to be preached. Here, 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 what I want you to know is that the truth alone is divisive. Why? Because it calls for everyone who hears it to make a decision for it or against it. You see, when I tell you that this is the truth and what God says, when I stood up here just right now and I just communicated the gospel, I said to you that man is hopeless in his sin. When I just said to you that man cannot save himself. When I said to you that no matter how many good things you do, you can never redeem yourself. You can never appease God. Guess what? You got to make a choice to either swallow that and say, yes, that's truth, or say, nah, man, I'm all right. This is the reality. And the reality is, is the same thing that happens in conversations that we have with those who don't know Jesus. We have to confront them. And when we simply present the truth, like I said, you don't have to be a jerk. You don't have to yell. You don't have to raise your voice. You don't have to get mad. Listen, you, 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 God doesn't need you to do all that. Hello. You know what God needs you to do? He needs you to be faithful with the truth. He needs you to be unashamed of the truth because you know what? It's not me. It's not, the, it, it's not how, how great I am. It's how powerful he is that does what? That brings change to a person's heart. And it's through his truth. The second thing that I ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, the method must never overshadow or undermine the message. The method must never overshadow or undermine the message. And so whatever method I'm utilizing in order to reach people with the gospel, I need to make sure that the method doesn't overshadow or undermine the message. I need to make sure that whatever, what, whatever I'm choosing to do, however I'm choosing to do it, right, I need to make sure that that does not what? It, does, it doesn't short-circuit the message. It doesn't contradict the message. So while, while we can argue, and we could argue for a long time, what method is biblical to reaching others, it would be wiser to extract from the scriptures all of the methods we see. More importantly, to realize that no method, hear me when I say this, no method is absolute, for methods are situational. However, the message is absolute and must be clearly communicated and never compromised. The method I use to evangelize is going to be different depending on the person I'm talking to, depending on the situation that I'm in. I told you about the conversation that I had with a woman in California a few years ago. And, you know, long story short, we saw her on the bus, her and her husband, and we started talking about Seattle. I won't give you the whole story. And we were sitting there on the bus. They got off the bus. I didn't share the gospel. I didn't, I didn't even mention, I mentioned God in a conversation, but that was about it. And my wife's like, why didn't you share with them? And I was like, babe, I, you know, why didn't you share with them? Hello. <laughs> She's like, because you're the spiritual leader. Why were you not leading the way? <laughs> but nonetheless, she didn't say that to me, but that's the reality. But anyway. All, all, all that being said, right, later on, we, after they, we went to the movies, they went to eat, we ate dinner, went to the movies, and God, God provided the vehicle for me to redeem my actions. Hello. And they showed up at the same bus stop and sat next to us again. And so we had a long conversation. And in that conversation, I was able to communicate the gospel. And she was, you know, she, she was questioning, you know, God's goodness and God's mercy. And I was going through all of that stuff with her, trying to communicate that with her. Listen, I'm, I'll probably never see this woman again, right? And I was hard, man, I, you know, because you guys know me pretty well. You know, sometimes, and, and this is me, this is the honest truth. For me, sometimes starting the conversation is difficult. But once it starts, baby, we're going. 
Right. Once, once that ball starts rolling, I'm good to go. There's no question. I'm going to keep going. We're going to keep talking. And especially if you have questions. And, you know, part of my, my makeup is confrontational, right? Sometimes, right, I get a little confrontational sometimes. Hello. Just a little bit, right? Right? Just a little. Y'all laughing like, Bishop, that's you. That's right. So that's my makeup, right? And so that's who I am. So we're having this conversation. I was hard, you know, and I mean, I thought I was, I mean, I was, I was hitting her pretty hard. And you know what was so beautiful? Only by God's grace, at the end of the conversation, she was like, you know, I really sense the love of God through you. And I'm like, wow, God is awesome. <laughs> but I clearly communicated the truth. I wasn't yelling at the lady or anything like that. It wasn't anything like that, right? But I was strong. I was firm in what I was saying. But that was a situation that I was going to use that, that method. Then there's other people that, there's, that, that you're going to be around all the time, right? You're going to have conversations with them all the time. And you know what? You're going to maybe share the gospel with them once, but then what are you going to do after that? You're going to sit next to them in that same cubicle. You're going to walk with them, you know, on that same street. You're going to be their neighbor forever. What do you do past that? What do you do past that initial conversation? The methods that we use, listen, those are situational. But we need to make sure that we're what? That we're clear on the message that we're going to communicate. So what are, and and you you should write these down so that way you can kind of look at them. So what biblical methods to reaching others do we see in the scriptures? Not, Not what I like, not what you like. What does the Bible communicate? What does the Bible show us as the way? It seems like this. Now pay pay attention to this. It seems that Jesus and the apostles sought an audience, not a crowd necessarily, but a people or individuals who were willing to listen. Did you hear that? The first thing that I want you to get when you look at biblical principles or methods for reaching others is that the apostles and Jesus sought an audience, not a crowd. When I say an audience, I'm meaning someone who would pay attention. Sometimes it was a large group of people. Sometimes it was a one-on-one situation. But what they did for sure is they sought someone who wanted to listen. And so you know what? If people weren't listening, they weren't wasting their time. Are you hearing me? Not over and over and over again. Nope, they communicated. There were plenty of times that you see the Apostle Paul, and Jesus even told his disciples. Didn't Jesus tell his disciples, if someone doesn't receive you, what what do you do? He was like, kick off the dust off your feet and let them know my peace doesn't go there and keep it moving. That's that's what Jesus, not me. That's what Jesus said. If if they don't want to receive your words, the Apostle Paul, he did it to the Jews. He was like, oh, y'all don't want to hear me? That's fine. I came to you first. Now you know where I'm going? I'm going to the Gentiles. But what they did was they saw the people that wanted to hear. They, they saw the people that were open to hearing. Now, can I tell you something? In order for you to find the people that want to hear, you got to be looking. Hello. I didn't say they prayed about it and waited for God to bring someone. That isn't what I said. They sought an audience, right? Okay. So how do they do that? The first one is this. Intentional immersion. Intentional immersion. I'm going to ask you to turn to some scriptures here with me. Matthew chapter 4, verse 23. We just started over here in that scripture. We read down to verse 17. Jesus is preaching repentance, but I want you to look at verse 23, Matthew chapter 4. You got to say so. It says, And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. Then his fame went throughout all Syria, and they brought to him all all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments, and those who were demon-possessed, epileptics and paralytics, and he healed them. Great multitudes followed him from Galilee, from Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond the Jordan. Now look at verse 1 in chapter 5. It says, And seeing the multitude, he went up on the mountain, and when he was seated, when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and taught them. And so what did Jesus do? Jesus went about, he preached this message. People were listening. What did he do? He kept preaching to them. Hello. He continued to preach to them. There were crowds of people that were there. Now look with me at Acts chapter 17. Remember, this is intentional immersion. He was there in the culture where they were, and that's the way that he started doing it. Acts chapter 17, turn there. That's how Jesus does it. Now let's look at how some of his disciples or his apostles do it. Acts chapter 17, verse 16 through 17. Look what it says here. It says, Now, while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him when he saw that the city was given over to idols. Therefore, he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with the Gentile worshipers and in the marketplace daily with those who happened to be there. 
And so look what he does. He goes into where? He goes into the synagogues. He goes to the Gentile, where the Gentile worshipers were. He goes to the marketplace daily with those who were what? Who were there. And these people were listening to him. Because what does the next verse say? Look at the next verse. It says, then certain Epicurean and Stoic philosophers encountered him. And some said, what does this babbler want to say? Others said, he seems to be a proclaimer of foreign gods because he preached to them Jesus and the resurrection. Look at verse 21. It says, for all the Athenians, and the foreigners who were who were there spent their time in what? Nothing else but either to tell or to hear something new. And so what did he do? Paul was there. He stirred up in his spirit. Something is wrong in the city where he's at. And he goes to places where people are going to listen. Why does he do that? Because if people are not listening, people are not going to respond. Are you here? If people are not listening... They're not going to respond. And so we need to be praying that people will listen when we open our mouths. But we also need to be strategic and immerse ourselves. Where? Immerse ourselves in the culture in a way that we are intentional and that we get around people that we have their ear and that are going to listen to us. The second thing is by invitation. Say invitation. So you have intentional immersion, and you can write these scriptures down. Matthew chapter 9, verse 9 through 13. And I told you I'm going to send you my outline, but you can just write this down next to that if you're taking notes. Matthew chapter 9, this is something that many of you, through becoming a contagious Christian, have, learned, have come to know as a Matthew party. Matthew gets called into a relationship with God, and then what does he do? He seems to throw a party. He has a banquet. He has a dinner at his house, and what's there? A bunch of sinners. How do we know that? Because the Pharisees are like, why is he eating with sinners? And Jesus says what? This is this we all know this because this is like common to us, right? Jesus says, I came to seek and to save that which was lost. He says, what? A physician doesn't come for those who are well, but those who are sick. So what happens? Matthew gets saved, and he's like, well, I don't know what to say, but I'm going to bring him around Jesus. Hello. He comes around them. And so we have opportunities like this that we see in the scriptures. Another thing is Acts chapter 10. And Acts chapter 10 is a funny place because this one actually gives us two examples. One of them is the last one that I use, which is being led by the Spirit. But the other one is by invitation. There's this guy by the name of Cornelius. He's a, he's a seeker of God. He fears God. He's a giver to God based on Ju Ju Judaism, right? He's not, he's not a Jew, but he is one who seeks God. And what happens? He has a vision. An angel says to send for this guy named Peter, and he's going to tell you what you need to do. And so what does he do? He invites him to come over. And what do the scriptures say? The scripture says that when he gets there, what, what, what did Cornelius done? Cornelius lined his whole family up like, y'all going to all hear this. Hello. Everybody's going to hear this gospel that's going to be preached. And so Peter goes by what? By invitation, and he ends up over there. So we have intentional immersion where we immerse ourselves in the culture. We find those places where people are talking, people are listening, and we go ahead and we communicate the gospel by invitation. The third one here is, say, drawing a crowd. And so drawing a crowd, we read here in, in Matthew chapter 4, what? That Jesus, through signs and wonders, he was drawing a crowd. Acts chapter 2 tells us what? What happened in Acts chapter 2? Acts chapter 2 is the birth of the church. And the Bible says that these people were in the upper room, and there was 120 of them. They had been praying for 10 days. The Holy Spirit comes down upon them, sits upon them with tongues, and what happens? The Scripture says that they all begin to speak in tongues as the Holy Spirit gives them utterance. But what was in Jerusalem at that time? It was a feast time. It was the Feast of Pentecost. It was a time of celebration. And so all different Jews from different places, they were in Jerusalem. And I don't know how this was, but they heard heard these guys and these ladies up in that upper room speaking in tongues but they weren't speaking some crazy languages or anything like that they heard them doing what speaking in their own languages the praises of God what did that do that drew a crowd didn't it they were looking at them and they were like yo what's going on here like all oh, these people these people are drunk and what happened the next thing that happens is once the crowd is drawn and who drew the crowd was it not God Almighty we see it the same way in Jesus, right? When Jesus was there and the power of God was moving, they weren't trying to figure out the, the next best thing. Look, they weren't, I mean, in that time, they weren't even worried about technology, but they weren't worried about all of that stuff to try to draw people. They allowed the supernatural power of God to do what? To draw the crowd. 
And when the crowd was drawn, the message was clear. And Peter does what? He comes down and he says, listen, these people are not drunk, but this is the prophecy that Joel gave. And he talked about that prophecy. And then he preached the longest, and you want to talk about hardcore, in-your-face sermon. You are the ones who killed Jesus who was innocent. He made it abundantly clear that it was their sin, that it was their sinfulness that put Jesus on that cross. And you know what they said? The Bible says that they were cut to the heart. They opened their mouths and they said what? What must we do? What are we supposed to do? See, that should be the kind of message that we want to preach. To the point where people are not, listen, they may argue. There's going to be people that are going to argue. That's all good. But here's the deal. That there are people that are hearing us and they are cut to the heart and they turn from their sin. They're asking us what they need to do. And the last thing is, you know, following the Holy Spirit. Say, following the Holy Spirit. Now, I say this last as though that's a separate part, but in all of these things, in your intentional immersion, in your invitations, in all of that, in the drawing of the crowd, there needs to be the leading of the Holy Spirit. In, in, in the scriptures, what we find here, and you can write down scriptures if you're doing this, John chapter 4, in verse 4 through 42, that's the, that, that's the woman at the well. And what does that scripture tell us? It tells us that Jesus had to go through Samaria. Many theologians, when they talk about the geography of that place, Jesus, that wasn't necessarily the shortest route there. Jesus didn't have to go through Samaria to get to where he was trying to get to. But the reason why he had to get there was because there was a woman at the well that was going to meet him, and Jesus needed to speak a word to her life. Jesus needed to bring the gospel to her, and not just her, but to everyone that she went and preached to because she became an evangelist immediately. The second example that you have is Acts chapter, two, I mean, I'm sorry, is Acts chapter 8, verse 26 through 40, following the Holy Spirit's leading. So it's us following the leading of the Holy Spirit, following his direction, following his guidance. In Acts chapter 8, that is a guy by the name of Philip, and the scripture says he does what? He is there, and the Spirit of the Lord says, overtake that chariot. There was this Ethiopian guy that was in that chariot. He was reading the scriptures. He was trying to find out who God was, and can I tell you something? I want you to get this. There are many people in our day that are just like this Ethiopian eunuch, that they are trying to find out who God is. And you know what? We are so busy with our lives that we're not sensitive to the Holy Spirit to overtake them in their chariot, in their situation where they're open to hear about who God is. This guy, he was, Philip was like, all right, Lord, I'll go. He overtakes the chariot, and what happens? The guy's like, hey, man, come up here. And so he goes, and he begins to expound the scriptures. He begins to communicate the word of God to this guy. They come up to some water, and he's like, what hinders me from being baptized? It's funny because when we're reading the account, he never says anything about baptism, or, or the account we read, he never says anything about baptism, which leads me to believe that it was pretty clear the guy preached repentance and remission of sins, and the fact that you need to be baptized, and he, and he was like, well, do you believe? He's like, I believe it all in my heart, and then he baptized him, and I love the next part of the story, because as soon as the guy gets baptized, this is like the first beam me up Scotty moment. Hello. This guy was, was transported from there to Azotus. He didn't even know how he got there. I mean, the, the guy brings him up out the water. The guy's like, well, who baptized me? He didn't even know. He's probably thinking that was an angel or something. But the reality is this was someone who was being led by the Holy Spirit. Now, am I telling you that you're going to be beamed up every time you baptize and lead someone to Jesus? No, I'm not telling you that. But what I am telling you is that you and I should be led by the Holy Spirit. Now, I want you to write this scripture down. Acts chapter 5, verse 13 through 14. You're going to notice there, this is after Ananias and Sapphira. And I'm trying to give you the ways that these people evangelized, the way that people were getting saved. But Ananias and Sapphira, they're struck dead. And after they're struck dead for lying to the Holy Spirit, the scripture says, and no one dared join them. But they held them in high esteem, and the Lord was adding to them those who were being saved. So notice what's happening. These people, they were Look, God, God, God was showing there is a real God, a holy God, and the people are like, that's not a God to play with. I'm not just coming because I like the music. Hello. I'm not just coming because I like the kids' program. I'm not just coming for some other reasons. I'm coming because what? Because God is holy. That, that's the reason why we're coming. And then it says this. It says they had esteem. The people respected them. Can I tell you something? A lot of people in our culture, they don't respect us. They don't respect the church. They don't respect our standards, but here's the deal. They're respected, and in the midst of the culture, there, God was using them to bring people to faith. 
The other thing is, we see we talked about we talked about Philip, but right before we see Philip in, in Acts chapter 8, he preaches Christ with power. We see Acts chapter 8, verses 4. Acts chapter 8, verses 4. It's an example. All of those, it says, all of those who were scattered, they began to preach the word. That's what they did. Here's what I want you to understand. That as we gather here today, as we gather together on Sundays, as we gather together in our Connect Life groups, as we gather together, when we walk out the doors, we are being scattered because what? We go to different places. And I want you to realize that God is expecting and God is calling us to do what? To share his word with this world that needs it. Are you here? That's what he wants from us. See, here's what we clearly see. Get this. What we clearly see is that whatever method of reaching others we choose, first of all, it must be intentional in a way of life. Let me say that again. The first thing that you got to get is that this was not just something that they did once in a while. This was intentional, and it was a way of life for them. So whatever method you use, whatever it is, whatever it is, it needs to be intentional, needs to be a way of life. The second thing that we realize is it must give way to a clear presentation of the gospel. That's the second thing. Whatever method you use, it's got to give way to a clear presentation of the gospel. And lastly, we need the power of the Holy Spirit for our efforts to be fruitful. Listen, we can have all the methodology in the world. The reason, the, I've, I've said this before. The, the, the evangelism team, we should, we should be praying with them because whether you realize it or not, you're part of that team. Hello. But those who, whenever you step out to go evangelize, and that should be every day of your life, hear me, you should be saturated in prayer having prayed for those whom you're going to encounter. Your life should be, and, and, and look, this may seem like above the standard, but can I tell you something? This is regular Christianity. It is that we are those who come before God on a continual basis, broken over the sins of the lost, broken over the condition of those who don't know God, broken over the realities of hell, and that we are asking God to fill us with his grace, to fill us with his power, and to use us for his glory. That's what should be happening to us. That we go out there and that we walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. Because at the end of the day, I can know every right verse to use. I can know every right thing to do. I can have a program down pat. And that doesn't mean that I'm ever going to see people come to faith. And can I tell you something? Listen, it is okay for you to be rejected. That is going to happen. It is okay for people to say no. But it also, there should be some people saying yes. And the only way that that happens is by the power of the Holy Spirit and God working with you. And so I have a helper that's going to help me out here. My daughter, she's going to come and assist me because she wants to give you a method, right, that she learned. We were talking um, in the car, and um, it was Friday, right? Thursday. It was Thursday when I picked her up, and she happened to be in her class, and she was like, you know, Dad, I just took a test today, and she said, you should use this the next time you're talking about evangelism. I was like, well, what is it? And she started talking. I said, so I'm going to let you go ahead and use it. So share with us how it is, and she's going to share with us how it is that we maintain relationships with people that we are trying to lead, lead to Christ in faith. Okay, so the first thing is you need some non-Christian friends. It doesn't really work if you're just with Christians, obviously. <laughs> Um, number two is you need to establish a common ground and so pretty much is something that you both have in common and that you both really like so like food or um, sports or something like that and that would tie into number three which is you need to generate interest so this common ground is going to give you um, reasons to keep coming back to talk to them about that thing and you have to get the ball rolling which is number four so you're going to start to build a relationship here with them because it's like I've heard this saying and it says people don't really care how much you know until they know how much you care and that's really true because if you don't really care about them as a person they're not gonna listen to you and number five is don't go too far so don't really push them too hard or else they could like never listen to you again <laughs> and number six is don't condemn them so if they, you feel like they're doing something that's not biblical don't go up to them and be like you are such a sinner you need Jesus like no. <laughs> give them some Bible verses and give them some time to read through them. And then once you're getting to the part where you're talking to them about Christ and the gospel message, you want to stick with the main topic and not divert from that. And number eight, you want to have a confrontation with them about their faith and give them a chance to accept Christ. Amen. 
So I think, I, I know that was kind of quick, but I hope that that's helpful and that you realize, look, in, in your, the reason why I asked you to come and do that is because here's the deal. The reality is that most of us are going to be with people a lot, right? Going to be around people that don't know Jesus a lot. And so you need to keep those principles in mind, right? Like this is the way that I need to live my life. You know, we have common ground. Like some of you, you know, I was blessed the other day um, talking with Eric and he was sharing, um, or actually Cheryl was sharing about Eric, how um, he plays softball and they always ask him to pray, whether it's a Christian league or, or not, right? And that's an awesome thing because the common ground is already there. So what do you like? I mean, what, what, what kind of stuff do you like to do? Well, you're going to do that anyway. And guess what? Chance Chances are you're not going to do it with a whole bunch of saved people only. And so sometimes we're so afraid, right, to have a relationship. I'm going to tell you right now, when I first became a Christian, like, I, I didn't think that I could have friends that were not Christian. Seriously. Because I was holy, man. Hello. You were holy. You were righteous. Like, you couldn't be around them unholy folks, right? The only time you were going around them was only to tell them about Jesus. You were never going to, like, invite them to your party because they were going to contaminate it. Come on now, y'all, y'all, y'all know, man. Now, y'all know some of y'all like that too. Like, that's what you were taught. Like, that's the idea that you had, right? And then, and, and that's why I tell you, when I read, you know, Becoming a Contagious Christian, and mind you, I don't agree with every single thing, but hello, it's a method, right? But what I realized, when this guy started talking about him, you know, he liked to, to sail, you know, he liked to sail on, you know, those, those I don't know what they're called, but, um, you know, where they sail and they race, you know, on these sailboats. And so he liked to do that, right? So what was it? Regatta, there you go. So he liked to do that. And what he, what he was talking about is he was like, man, I would go on these teams, and there was no Christian men on these teams. I was the only Christian. This guy's a pastor. And he's like, and I would just, you know, get in there, get to know these guys. And then, you know, as, as time would progress, conversations would happen, and then I was able to share my faith with them. See, the reality is that we all have those opportunities. The thing is we have to be intentional. Hello. We have to be prayed up. We have to be reminded that we are on mission. And so number three, say this with me. The message and method must be carried out by faithful messengers the method the message and the mess and the message must be carried out by faithful messengers turn with me to Romans chapter 10 Romans chapter 10 14, verse 14 through 17. When you got it, say so. I only heard like two so's, three so's, so I wait. I want to make sure y'all are there. Romans chapter 10, verse 14. When you got it, say so. It says, how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? So who is they? Obviously those who don't believe. Now look at this. And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a positive lifestyle? <sighs> I, know, I know some of y'all don't want to, well, I'm not a preacher. Yes, you are. I didn't say you got to get up on a pulpit and preach. But you are a proclaimer. You are one who has to open your mouth. You have to communicate. How? Shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? Verse 17 says, so then faith comes by hearing and by hearing the word of God. The message and the method must be carried out by faithful messengers. I told you I'll tell you some statistics, and not really statistics, it's just an article that I read, and there are some statistics, but it was an article by Ed Stetzer, and it was entitled, Overprofessionalizing What Should Be common, the Common Practice of Evangelism. Listen to that title. Overprofessionalizing What Should Be the Common Practice of Evangelism. So obviously the article is talking about us trying, you know, making evangelism too professional, too difficult. And he came up with three things that have, that have happened in the church that make evangelism so difficult. And one of them is staffing. 
And what happens is the staff, the church, the pastors, the elders, the leaders in the church, it's not their intention, but for some reason, we think what? We think that the only people who can really share the gospel effectively are who? Are the leaders. Are the ones who know, you know, what's going on. Or, you know, who know the Bible. And can I tell you something? That's rooted way back when in Catholicism. When the people were taught that, you know what, the people that are up here, we're holy, we're righteous. If there's one thing, I went to, I've only been to a Catholic church, well, I've probably been two times. One time I don't remember because um, I was when I was christened as a baby. But the other time was at a funeral. And when I went to this funeral, right, I went to the funeral. And the one thing that I can tell you about the Catholic church is that there is a clear understanding of what holy is and what is not holy, right? Like the, the altar, that's holy. The only people that get up there are the holy folks. If you're going to speak at, that, at, at the funeral, hello, you want to know what happens? They have a little pulpit for you to stand down there because you are not holy. They don't know where you're from. They don't know where you're at. So guess what? You are not coming up here. Hello. The one thing that I can tell you is that they really did a good job on making you understand the difference between what is righteous and unrighteous, right? Now, the rest of it, we won't talk about all that. But here's the deal. The mindset come came from that way back in the days, right? This is way, this is after, right, the church was born because we never see this in the scriptures. In the scriptures, we're what? We're all equal before God. Are you here? We have all been given. We are all a royal priesthood. It's not just some people that are priests. Hello. Not just the pastors that are holy. That's a wrong mindset. The second thing that, that happened is the undermining of the universality of evangelism by overemphasizing the gift of evangelism. Let me say that again. The undermining of the universality of evangelism by overemphasizing the gift of evangelism. So here's the thing. First of all, we have staff. They're the professionals, so they're the ones that can preach the gospel. The second one is, well, I'm, I don't have the gift of evangelism. So since I don't have the gift of evangelism, then I, I, I really, I, I don't have the ability to evangelize. False. False. Because we're all called to evangelize. I wouldn't go as far as to say there's no gift of evangelism. But what I will say is this, is that that gift is meant to do what? To equip you to evangelize. Every one of the gifts, you know, the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher in Ephesians 4 is for what? For the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry. Part of the work of the ministry is what? Evangelism, reaching others. And the third thing is the, the assumption that evangelism is something that happens at church, not something that happens through the church. And so in other words, I bring everyone to church. And listen, I have no issue with invitations and inviting people to church. I want you to invite all your friends to church. I want you to do that often. I want you to do that all the time. But what I want you to realize is that you don't have to wait for your friends to walk into this building to hear the gospel. You can assure they're going to hear it, but you don't have to wait for them to come in here because evangelism doesn't happen in this place. It happens through each and every one of us. That's what should be happening. So here's the thing. The solution is to understand evangelism is not reserved for a professional, a gifted person, or a specific place. It is a practice reserved for every believer in every environment that they may occupy. Here's the thing. We must transition from an attractional to an incarnational model of evangelism where it's no longer come and see, but go and tell people about Jesus. You see, instead of us trying to attract people to who we are, instead of trying to attract people, we need to be incarnational. What do we mean by incarnational? There's something called the incarnation. That is when God became man and walked among us. That's what that is, right? The incarnation of Christ. And we talk about being incarnational. That means that we go out living as what? As those representatives, like I said earlier, those ambassadors, those who have been given a ministry of reconciliation. And we live and we go and we share this gospel message with others. You see, if you haven't understood this yet, I hope that you get this. We've been called into faith to share the faith faithfully. God has commissioned us with a message, giving us examples of many methods to share the message and has empowered us by his spirit to be effective in carrying out the mission that he's given us. You see, if the world, like we read in Romans chapter 10, if the world does not hear the message through us, then through whom will they hear it? We can no longer assume the posture of casual Christianity. It's time that we become burdened for the lost broken over the reality of hell and bold in our proclamation of God's offer of salvation to all who will believe the gospel. See, the reality is, is that we can't just sit back, church. Here's the deal. 
We can't just sit back and think, well, you know, it's going to happen some way. People are going to hear about Jesus somehow. There's enough people. There's, you know, televangelists. There's all kinds of stuff. Listen, I want you to think about it in, in these terms. You are the person God has chosen to be a light wherever you are, and are you shining the way he's called you to shine? That's the reality. The reality is that it's up to you. It's up to me to be sure that I influence. You know, I, I, I don't know. I, I can't remember where, where I heard this, but I, it was a... Uh, I didn't hear it. It was a play that these young men did when I, was, when I was a youth pastor, and it was in another church, and they told me about it. And it was this young man, it was, it was a picture of the judgment seat. And obviously this is probably far-fetched, but it's something that drove a point home. And what it was, it was a picture, uh, or it, was, it, it was a young man who came forward, and he was receiving, you know, his inheritance. He was coming to go to heaven. <clears throat> and then, as he was standing there, receiving his inheritance and being blessed to come into the kingdom. All of his friends were coming. And every one of them was saying, why didn't you tell us? Because none of them were going to heaven. They were all being sentenced to hell. And this young man was making it into the kingdom of God. And all of his friends that he was around, he never took the time to tell them about Jesus. He never took the time to communicate who Jesus is, what Jesus had done for his friends. And so his friends are crying out. His friends are before, are before him saying, why didn't you tell me? And listen, I don't know that anything's going to happen like that, but here's what I do know. I don't want anybody that I know to miss heaven because I didn't share the truth with them, because I didn't share the gospel with them. You see, I'm closing with these thoughts here. God is not looking for the most eloquent. He is not looking for the most educated. And he is not looking for the most extroverted. Are you here? See, when we think about sharing the gospel, we think about, you know, the most eloquent person, the person who can articulate, the person who has the right words. And what I want you to know is that God is not looking for the person who is the most eloquent. He's not looking for that person. He is not looking for the person who has the Ph.D. He's not looking for the person who knows all the words. You know, it's funny when I talk to Lewis because Lewis is a smart guy. He's a quiet guy, but he's real smart. And sometimes he'll use words, and I'll be like, bro, I don't know what that word means. you got to give me a definition. <laughs> and the truth of the matter is, is that sometimes we think that God is looking for the most educated person, and you don't feel educated. And so, you know, you're not eloquent. You're not educated. Educated, and so you, you definitely can't be that person. And let me tell you the one, and I, and I can tell you that I do not fall into this category. You think, yes, you do, Bishop. No, you know, I'm not an extrovert. I'm not a person that is, like, comfortable just walking up to people. I'm not a person that's comfortable. I can literally, and this is no lie, I can literally go into a place, especially nowadays. Now you have a phone. You can just sit, put your head down and never look at anyone. I could literally go into a place and never talk to anyone and act like I was just there just doing whatever I was doing and never have a conversation. I'm okay with that. Believe it or not, just in myself, because I'm not. But that doesn't disqualify me, nor does it excuse me from sharing the gospel with this world that needs it. Can I tell you something? The truth is, God is looking for those who will say, here I am. Send me. That's what he's looking for. He's looking for those who will say, I hear your call. I fear rejection. I loathe confrontation. And I'm uncomfortable with the idea of sharing my faith. But... But I know that I'm called. I know that you are able to use me, and I am your child. I'm your ambassador. I'm your vessel. Your gospel has changed me, and I am grateful, so I want to be faithful sharing it. Listen, he's looking for someone to say, God, here I am. I mean, come on, we've gone over this for four weeks now. If you don't realize that you're called today, I hope you do. The question is, will you respond to God and stop fighting him and stop saying, I can't do it and stop saying, not me, and start saying, God, here I am. God, use me. Use me for your glory. Use me for your honor. God, I realize this. If that's you in, that, in this place today, submit your heart before God. Let's all stand to our feet. If that's you today, you know, and you're, you're that person. You fear confrontation. You feel all of those things, those describe your heart. But you say, God, I want to be used by you. And, I, and, I, and it's not going to be easy. But if that's you, bow your heads, please. If that's you today, I just want you to do something. Just, just a step of faith. 
I just want you to lift your hand up before God and say, God, here I am. Here I am, God. I see the hands. Just lift that hand up before the Lord. Hold it up. This is just lifting your hand in church. It's not even talking to someone yet. This is you simply saying, God, here I am. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't have all the answers. Praise the name of the Lord. Hallelujah, Jesus. I see your hands. You can put your hands down. Come on, grab your neighbor's hand. Let me pray with you right now. Let's pray together that we would be emboldened. I want you to pray like you were the one that raised your hand. Even if you didn't, maybe you wanted to raise your hand and you didn't. Listen, the enemy wants you to feel like a coward. The enemy wants you to feel condemned. Look, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. God knows your heart. And if you say, God, I, here I am, God. I want to be used by you. I have fears. I have doubts. I don't know how to go about this, but I want to be the light that shines in the midst of this dark world. Father, look at these hearts of my brothers and my sisters, my God. Look upon myself, Heavenly Father. I'm not always the most bold. I'm not always the most courageous. I'm not, I'm, I'm not always the one that steps out in faith, God. I disobey. I'm insensitive, Lord God, like the rest. And so, God, we come to you as your sons, as your daughters. And we acknowledge today, Lord God, the great need that there is for the gospel in this world. The great need that there is for the gospel of the kingdom to be preached, for the gospel of the kingdom to be ministered, Lord God, unto those who do not know you. Father, today, Lord, I pray for the power of your Holy Spirit to be manifested, my God, in our lives, through our lives. I pray, Lord, that you would awaken us to that reality, Lord, of what we need. Heavenly Father, that you awaken us to that reality of your gospel call upon our lives. And Father, I pray against condemnation. I pray I pray against fear. I pray against doubt. Father God, I pray against all of those things that would try to hinder us from being your witnesses today. Lord God, I pray for the glory and the power of God to be manifested in the great name of Jesus. Lord God, have your way in our hearts. Lord God, break us over sin, my God. Break us over lost people, my God. Break us over the realities of hell. Oh, Father God, from this day forward, make us sensitive to the call, Lord God. Make us sensitive to the needs that are out there. Let us be Phillips for you, my God, that we would be sensitive to, the, to your spirit as you lead us to those who are seeking to know you, my God. May you be glorified in us, God. Father, may you have your way in each and every one of our lives. Fill us with the power of your Holy Spirit, God. And Lord Jesus, as we pray for ourselves, so we pray for those who don't know you, God. Father God, we pray for our loved ones. We pray for our neighbors. We pray for co-workers, God. Father God, I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would begin revival in their hearts. I pray that you would begin to draw them to you. I pray, Lord God, that you would embolden my brothers and sisters. I pray that when they enter into the lives of those that, Lord, need you, that they would be sensitive and that you would use them to confront them in their sin and to bring them to saving faith in you, God. Father, today, my God, today, Holy Spirit, have your way in us. Have your way in us, Father. Have your way in us, O King. We honor you. We give you praise today in Jesus' good name. Someone said, come on, give God a hand of praise. He's worthy.